Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, to mark Black History Month, Trinity College will tomorrow host a talk from someone who has spent most of his life at the forefront of the struggle for racial equality in the United States. Together with his brother Aaron, Elmer Dixon was one of the founders of the Seattle chapter of the Black Panther Party. Elmer, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks very much for uh, coming into us. It's my pleasure. Uh, the is it almost like I was kind of thinking about this because I suppose someone who is uh, who has been so politically active as yourself, who's an Af- African American, it's almost a stupid question to say when were you first aware that there was racism around you, or is there a moment? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I grew up uh, in the during the civil rights movement. Uh, I was five years old, living in Champaign, Illinois, when uh, Emmett Till was brutally murdered. Mm. And and I, I don't remember that event. Uh, I know that uh, I was born in the same neighborhood as Emmett Till, uh, as was my father, who grew up in that same neighborhood. And he wrote a, a stirring poem that was published in one of the black community newspapers in Chicago. I, I wasn't aware of that until a little bit a little bit later. But I do know that um, our parents made sure that we were aware of what was going on around us. And uh, by that, I mean, you know, they were very involved in. Um, at least it, it appeared to us in the elect, you know, wanting to vote for Kennedy in 1960. Uh, and, and then we were always watching the TV set, the black and white TV set. And we saw Bloody Sunday, uh, the, uh, the Pettus Bridge, the attack at Pettus Bridge. In mm-hmm. fact, I just walked across the Pettus Bridge about a month ago. Um, so we saw that, you know, as a, I saw that as a 13-year-old. I saw the the aftermath of the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church where the four little girls were murdered um, when the Ku Klux Klan blew up the church. Uh, those things were ever-present in our um, in our daily lives. Uh, and so I, I can't say that I uh, was an activist, but I do remember the moment, um, uh, Sean. It, it was uh, when I was a, a, a junior in high school. Mm. And I hadn't been what you would call political or awoke until that time. It was 1967. And a guy by the name of Stokely Carmichael, Mm. who was the uh, national spokesperson at that time for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. Uh, If you you know the name H. Rap Brown, H. Rap Brown preceded him. And Stokely came to Seattle to speak uh, at my high school, Garfield High School, and hundreds of... uh, Black people, students came from all over the city um, to, to hear Stokely speak. And I remember him saying that the reason why black people don't have freedom is because they hate themselves. Um, they hate the color of their skin. Uh, they, they straighten their hair. They lighten their skin. They don't like the fact that they've got big lips. And we've been conditioned to think that everything black is bad. And he gave several connotations like devil's food cake is black. Angel food cake is white. Um, the good cowboy wears white uh, and, and wears, rides a horse called Trigger, while the black cow, the, the, the bad cowboy is Dirty Barton, rides a black horse. And he gave all of these analogies. And I, I remember thinking about that. And it, it struck me about two weeks later um, that I needed to to become 
aware, more yeah. aware. And I grew my hair out. In fact, I became the co-chair of the Seattle chapter of SNCC yeah. uh, in that year. So that was really where I became uh, politically active. Yeah. And even though you were still in high school yes. and, and, and you were you, you had become politically active. But my impression is that they, they try to stymie those efforts at every hand's turn within the school to and including like <laughs> yeah, there's two cops outside that are waiting to see you. Well, you know, um, it's interesting that you say that because I, I, I was arrested for the first time uh, that fall uh, for unlawful assembly, uh, for supposedly uh, igniting a riot when I was trying to stop a police officer from beating up a young black woman. Um, and But that fall, we uh, organized at the school and uh, demanded that we have uh, a black student union. And the principal um, uh, would not give it give us that that designation, and so we um, began to do little things like in the pep assemblies where I played in the in the in the stage band or the jazz band. I refused to stand up and play the the Pledge of Allegiance or the Star Spangled Banner, mm-hmm. and I got kicked out of school. Uh, they brought me back. Um, the band uh, leader told me that if I was going to um, uh, be in the band, I had to play. So I played sitting down. And, and keep in mind, this is 50, 60 years before Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And eventually, um, uh, we we called a, a boycott of all classes. And the administration got wind of it, I'm sure, but they thought that it would be a handful of black kids that uh, would... would uh, uh, be uh, in the hallways and, you know, they you know kick us out of school and it'd be the end of it again. But what they didn't uh, uh, realize was that all of the white students, the Asian students, the Latino students, we had all gone to grade school and, and, and junior high school together. So when we said nobody go to class, no one went. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the hallways were jammed with students. And that's when we got our black student union. So there was always this pushback uh, to things that we were doing. And so, in fact... The pivotal mem- minute uh, moment in my in my life, becoming from an activist to becoming a revolutionary, uh, at a sister high school, they called us up because um, they were having problems. The principal had kicked out a, a young black woman for wearing a, an afro to to class, saying that uh, sh- her hairdo was inappropriate. Uh, black students, when they got in fights with white students, were being kicked out of the school and white students sent back to the classroom. So we went over and and met with them. And the BSU from uh, uh, the University of Washington came, which included my brother, Aaron. He was a year older than me. And uh, so we met with the students and we said, well, what do you want to do? We said, and they said, well, we, we want to be a shoe. We want a black studies program. So we said, let's go. So we marched across the street, walked across the street, marched into the principal's office and told him to get out, the vice principal to get out, the secretaries to get out and told him we were taking over the school. Um, and they got out. The next day, we got the, the phone rang, and we answered it like we were running to school. Hello, this is Franklin High School. <laughs> um, and it was the principal begging us to leave his office and saying, yes, you, they can have a black studies program and a BSU. Well, it was a, a week later that I was in my geometry class, second period. Never forget it. Bob Naramore was the teacher. And the phone rang, and he said, Elmer, they want you in the office. And I said, what again? What did I do this time? So as soon as I stepped out of the door... There were two detectives there who handcuffed me and led me away to juvie. The irony is, is that at somewhere within that moment, MLK had just been assassinated. Yeah. And I was, uh, and my brother was arrested. 
Uh, a few of my comrades in, at Garfield were arrested, and we were all, they were getting the leaders off the street. Um, that began this cycle of, uh, of, of how we met Bobby Seale. Um, because the, the, a week later, we traveled to San Francisco State University to attend the West Coast Conference of Black Student Unions. And the featured speaker that night was none other than Chairman Bobby Seale. And he gave the most fiery speech that I had ever heard since or before. And I'd, you know, I'd listened to Malcolm and other speakers, but, but that there was something stirring in that speech. In fact, I remember him saying that we're going to fight until our blood runs in the streets. And you could see almost the, the, uh, the, the line drawn in the sand of the students that were scared to death, which was most, most of them, and the few of us that were ready to die. And so we made a beeline, my brother and I made a beeline to uh, Bobby Seale, uh, and I was uh, 18, I was 17 years old, um, and I, I told him we wanted to start a chapter of the Black Panther Party. My brother and I, we told him this, yeah. and he told us to, uh, to come to the funeral the next day of little Bobby Hutton. Now, MLK was assassinated on the 4th, little Bobby Hutton was murdered in police custody in the streets of Oakland. He was the first member to join the Black Panther that Party. That was the open coffin. That was so, the yeah. open coffin, like yeah. Mamie Till. Yeah. That yeah. um, had her coffin open, the coffin open for, for her son Emmett. And I remember when we, when we drove over to West Oakland, that there were hundreds of black uh, men and women in leather jackets and berets, and there was a rally going on. And one of the speakers was, was um, <laughs> the, the godfather, uh, uh, Marlon, Marlon Brando, Joe. who was a stunt. <laughs> Stunt. I thought you were going to say James Brown. I didn't no, think it was that godfather. No, I, he was a staunch supporter of the Black Panther Party. Yeah. And I remember seeing him and seeing Bobby. And when we got into the church and walked in, the walls were lined with men and women in leather jackets and berets. Uh, and out in the streets, there a military formation. I remember thinking, my God, this looks like a black black army. And when it came time to, and his flag was draped in a flag, a Panther flag. It's a surreal scene. You just can't even describe it, how, how surreal it was. And I remember when it came time to walk by the, the coffin, that I, I looked in, and there was this 17-year-old uh, who had been riddled with police bullets, his uh, beret, his leather jacket, his powder blue shirt, the uniform of the Black Panther Party, a free hut, few Huey button on his leather jacket. And I looked in at him and I said, that could be me lying there. It was at that point. There was no turning back. Yeah. I've only got two minutes left now, Amra. But, but like when you, when you look out, because so much of what you've described there, um, it's like it could have happened last week or yesterday. And yeah. one gets a sense that there's a kind of just history just repeating itself over and over again. Do you see any signs of improvement in your country? <sighs> You know, very little. There, there have been some signs of improvement. You know, uh, we started a free medical clinic in 1970. That free medical clinic is still operating today. Mm. It's the, the longest lasting, the only remaining original Black Panther Party clinic. But there are other programs, f that community-based programs, that grew out of, you know, the movement grew out of the Black Panther Party's existence, uh, like our free breakfast program, where we've had thousands of kids a, a hot breakfast every morning. Um, we embarrassed the federal government into feeding kids breakfast and lunch at schools. So there's been some progress, but you know the the the, the shift that has that has occurred 
really is a chasm that was always there. And that is the divide between the haves and the have-nots. Um, MLK talked about it in his last years before he was murdered and about the, the, this, this growing chasm between the rich and the poor. And when you look in the United States and you look here in, 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 in Ireland and Dublin, you know, the homelessness, the kids that, you know, people that can't afford apartments, you know, there's 10,000 people in, in homeless hotel rooms. I, I, I understand there's students that can't, can't get on campus at, at uh, the at where I'm speaking uh, t- uh, tomorrow at Trinity because they don't have any housing, um, and and it's a, this this gap between the rich and the poor, and and that just adds to the ills of society. And of course, in the United States, you add on top of that, you know, the the racism that really has never gone away. It came it it bubbled back to the surface uh, when that um, idiot that called himself a president became president back in 2000 and whatever it was 20 uh, or 18, whenever he was elected. Um, but they came out of the woodwork and they're they're now they're everywhere. And, and so I don't want to paint this picture like it's, you know, there, there's a lot of good people in the United States. There's a lot of good people here in Ireland. There's got a lot of good people around the world. I think that, that we need to just be aware of, what is happening to our young people uh, and stand up and do something about it instead of just talking about it. Elmer, thanks a million for coming in to speak with us today. Uh, Elmer Dixon will be speaking tomorrow uh, in the Thomas Davis Theatre at 6pm. Tickets can be booked on Eventbrite. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.